Welcome to the Pathway Church Podcast, where you'll find fresh messages uploaded weekly. Pathway Church is a Bible-based church located in Peterborough, Ontario, and we're on a mission to reach people far from God and see them become devoted followers of Jesus. We hope that what you hear today will help you to take one step closer to Jesus. Thanks so much for joining us, and if you like what you hear, don't forget to subscribe. Then two men will be in the field, one will be taken, and one left. Two women will be grinding at the mill, one will be taken, and one left. Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake, and would not have let his house be broken into. Therefore you also must be ready, ready, ready. For the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Hour you do not expect. Life is filled with guns and war. Everyone got trampled on the floor Wish we'd all been ready Children died the days grew cold Piece of bread could buy a bag of gold Wish we'd all been ready There's no time to change your mind The sun has come You've been left behind Man and wife sleep in bed She hears a noise, turns her head He's gone I wish we'd all been ready Two men walking up a hill One disappears One's left standing still I wish we'd all been ready There's no time to change your mind The sun has come And you've been left behind La 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 trampled on the floor wish we'd all been ready children died the days grew cold a piece of bread will buy a bag of gold I hope we'll all be ready there's still time to change your mind 
How could you have been so blind? The Father spoke, the demons died. The Son has come, and you've been left behind. You've been left behind. You've been left behind. Great. Uh, how many of you heard that song before? Larry Norman. Uh, I grew up on the sounds of that song, and we're going to talk about these themes. In fact, uh, today we're in, we're continuing our message series. We're actually in week eight of a 10-week message series. We're walking through a letter in the New Testament called First Thessalonians, and really for the first six weeks, we were really talking about how we live the Christian life and how our faith develops and grows over time. And then last week, Paul in the fourth chapter turns his attention uh, to a question that the Thessalonians had likely written to him to ask. And their question was, hey, in light of the end of time, in light of this time when Jesus comes back. And so by the very fact that they're asking the question, we already know that when Jesus, or sorry, when Paul was teaching the Thessalonians about Jesus, he not only taught them about his uh, his first coming and his death and his resurrection, his ascension into heaven. But part of Paul's gospel message was also the fact that Jesus was going to come again. And we talked last week about how um, when you study the Old Testament, you know, the first two-thirds of your Bible, you will find just a myriad of prophecies concerning this coming Messiah. The, the issue with it is that there are sort of two streams of prophecy about the coming Messiah, the Jewish Messiah. One of those streams was this idea that, that the Messiah would come as a suffering servant, that he would come like a lamb to be slain, that he would come and, and, and die like a, like a sheep being led to the slaughter, and he would give his life a ransom for many. So you have this, this image of a Messiah that comes and gives his life for his people. But then there are all of these other prophecies throughout the Old Testament that talk about this Messiah that was going to come and rule and reign. So you have a Messiah coming with a sword in one hand and a scepter in the other who's going to destroy all the evil people, who's going to bring peace to the earth and right all the wrongs and bring justice to those who have been abused. And there's these two different images. And of course, what the Old Testament writers probably didn't know and what the disciples didn't know until Jesus began to reveal it to them was the fact that Jesus would fulfill both of those types of messianic prophecy and that he would not only come once, 2,000 years ago, but that he would come again. And can I tell you, friends, i got a little image here. So many times we think about Jesus, this image of him on the left, right? He's holding a lamb, but he is actually represent the lamb. He's the lamb that was slain, okay? But when Jesus returns, he's not coming like that. He's coming, I don't know if we can even depict it. But it'll look something more like that. Fire in his eyes, sword out of his mouth, leading an army to bring justice, to bring peace, to create a new heavens and earth. So we have these two very, very different images of the Messiah. And of course, we understand that Jesus is fully both of these things. And we sang at the opening of the service, Lion and the Lamb. You You know the song? Lion and the lamb. We're singing. You're like, if you're new to church, you're like, what, why, why are we singing about a lion and a lamb? Like, doesn't the lion eat the lamb? And what we're talking about is Jesus is the, the lamb who was slain, and he is the lion of the tribe of Judah. He is the one that will rule and reign, and he is fully both. And so 
Again, there's all this beautiful imagery throughout Scripture that we talked about uh, last week. And so we're talking about this event, and Paul just sang about this event, about Jesus' return to gather his people, the people that are waiting for him, looking to him with faith, to gather them out of the earth. And we call this event within the church the rapture. How many of you heard of the rapture? Throw your hands up. Okay, if you were here last week, you heard about the rapture, even if you're new to faith. The rapture is this event where Jesus returns to rescue his people out of the world so that we can be with him uh, forever. The word rapture actually means to be caught up, to be taken, or snatched away. Now what's interesting is you won't find the word rapture in the Bible. And uh, in, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, the, the text we read last week, Paul talks about this moment when the trumpet will sound and Jesus will appear and he will snatch up. And the word he uses in the Greek language is the word harpazo. And it literally means to snatch away. Uh, Jesus uses the word in one of his parables. It's called uh, the parable of the sower. Some of you have read it. And he talks about a farmer who's casting seed, and he throws seed on different types of soil. And some of the seeds land on the hard road where the the dirt's packed, and the seeds just kind of bounce off and lay on top. And he says that the birds of the air come and harpazo, snatch up the seed, take it away. That's the word Paul uses when he talks about this day when Jesus returns for his church. He'll harpazo it in the Latin version of the Bible. So when they translate it from Greek into Latin, they use the word rapturo, which means to snatch away. And that's where we get the word rapture, okay? So Paul uh, describes this event. And so I want to just kind of recap from last week. And here's what we're going to do as we talk about the rapture today. Uh, I want to answer the question, how will this event take place? And we spent, you know, a fair bit of time on this uh, last Sunday. So we're just going to read a quick recap of some of the words that Paul Uh, remarked about in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Here's how Paul describes it. He says, For the Lord himself, speaking of Jesus, will descend from heaven. The same way he ascended up into heaven in front of his disciples, he's going to return in the sky for his people. And he says, with a cry of command, the groom is coming. If you were here last week, you'll know what that means. The voice of an archangel and the sound of the trumpet of God. This there's this imagery throughout the Bible of the trumpet sound and freedom and restoration. You know, the trumpet will go, and it says the dead in Christ will rise first. So Paul is answering a question. The Thessalonians said, we know Jesus is coming back for us. You've already told us that. But what about our family, our friends, our kids, our parents, those in our church who have died while waiting for Jesus? And over 2,000 years, guys, a lot of people have died waiting for Jesus. And the question is, what happens to them? Will they participate in the events of the last days? Will they participate when Jesus returns uh, to gather his people? And Paul answers emphatically, not only will they participate, they're getting first. They're going first. God's going to honor them. And he says, then we who are alive, those who are alive at the time that Jesus returns, who are left, will caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. There's this uh, imagery that Paul talks about here and in Corinthians that we get new bodies. So our bodies are restored into these eternal bodies. And so Our family members who have died, they're in the ground, they come out of the ground. Their bodies come out of the ground, out of the ocean, from the four winds of the earth if their ashes have been scattered, however it works. And their bodies are made new and their spirits and their bodies meet in the air. And those of us who are alive get new bodies and we all meet in the air. It's this family reunion uh, with Jesus in the air at this moment. And here's the best part. And so we will always be with the Lord. I cannot emphasize that enough. That when we think about the rapture, when we think about the end of the earth, when we think about all of these future events, that the the primary focus ought to be this, that we get to be with the Lord forever. When I was a kid growing up, and I'll talk about this in a little bit, I was afraid of the rapture. I was afraid of the end of the earth. I was afraid of the things that were to come. 
because I didn't understand that the best part of all of this is that we get to be with the Lord forever. And I said this last week, if you don't love Jesus, and if you don't want to spend a lot of time with him, heaven is not the place for you. And a lot of people think, well, I just want to skateboard on the streets of gold, man. I want to go swimming in the river of life. I want to, you know, get a selfie with the pearly gates. You know, I just want to get out of this, you know, my pain and suffering, my sick body. Like, those are all fantastic things. But can I tell you, the best part of the rapture, the best part of the future is that we get to be with our Lord and Savior forever. And that is amazing. We used the analogy of marriage last week. And I said, look, like, marriage is not about the wedding day. It's not about the dress. It's not even about the honeymoon. Marriage is about being with that person forever. That's the idea of marriage. And that's why um, throughout the scripture, Jesus talks about the end of times as a marriage between him and his bride, him and his church, that we would be together forever. And that's the best part. So as we talk about the rapture, as we talk about the end of the world and the end of times and what is to come, can I please remind you that Paul's emphasis is always here, that we get to be with him and therefore we can be encouraged about what is coming. So we just read what will happen. Paul tells us what will happen when Jesus returns. There'll be a sound. We'll meet him in the air. We'll be with him forever. Can I tell you what Paul does not say? He doesn't tell us what happens to everyone else at that time. He doesn't tell us what happens to Nicolas Cage when he is left behind. I've got an image here. There he is. How many of you, um, how many of you have read the Left Behind novels? Can any of you show of hands? Don't be embarrassed. I've read them. So yeah, the pastor read them. So uh, if you've read those novels, it's fantastic. It's really fun reading. It's very, very interesting. And uh, what you need to understand is that whole series of novels. And then, of course, they've made a bunch of films, some with Kirk Cameron. Um, they got all these films out. Uh, these, these sort of stories are, are fiction. You just need to know that. They're fiction based upon particular, a particular interpretation of end-time events and scriptural prophecies. So, in the left-behind sort of viewpoint of the end times, what happens is uh, Jesus returns and snatches up all the Christians and they disappear in a flash. And if you've seen the movies, you, you understand that what follows is absolute pandemonium. Pilot flying the plane, gone, just you know, just his uniform is sitting on the seat. And the plane, boo. People driving down the highway, all of a sudden people driving cars, gone. All the cars are crashing. Somebody's working at the morgue. He opens the bin. The body's gone. Like, what? Graves are open and everyone's going, what happened? As millions, maybe hundreds of millions of people disappear and vanish from the face of the earth. And of course, you can imagine the, the pandemonium that would ensue. Um, that, we don't know if that's the way it's going to happen, by the way. You can't prove that. Uh, if... Jesus snatches the church away and history continues as it's been going, then yeah, it'll be pretty crazy. And that's one particular view of how things might happen. Will it happen that way? Maybe. Maybe not. But as a kid, I remember this is the way I was taught. It's kind of the, this is sort of the predominant view within the church in, in the Western Hemisphere at least, uh, that there would be this rapture followed by seven years of intense difficulty and tribulation on the world. And that's predicted in the Old Testament by Jesus in the book of Revelation, there definitely will be a season, very likely seven years, where there's hell on earth. It gets very bad. Disease, war, famine, natural disaster, the whole works. Um, And so there's this particular view that, you know, God's going to save his people, pull them out of that, and then there's all this pandelirium is going to is going to break out. As a kid, I remember hearing about this, and this was what was being taught at the time in the church when I was growing up, And I remember hearing about it time and time again. I was terrified 
that I would get left behind. Is anybody here ever scared that you get left behind? Yeah. I see a couple of people like, yeah, that was me. As a kid, I was so convinced. Uh, there would be times I'd be down in the basement, you know, and, uh, and I'd hear a noise and I'd run upstairs. Mom? Dad? No answer. Justin? Travis? My brothers are gone. Like, no answer. And I would search the whole house. And I'm thinking, okay, they're in the yard. And I run outside, and they're not in the yard. I check the garden shed. And we live in the country. There's nobody around. So I'm like, oh. And I remember running to the front, and there's the car sitting in the driveway. I blew it. I missed it. I've been left behind. And there's little, you know, seven-year-old Nathan on his knees by the front window going, God, I'm so sorry. I shouldn't have taken that extra cookie when Mom wasn't looking. Like, I knew it was because of something I had done that I was left behind, and my whole family was gone, and now the tribulation was going to happen, and I would be there by myself. And then in the distance, I'd see my mom and dad and my two brothers walking down the road from the neighbor's house, and there was this sense of relief. Whew, I didn't miss it this time, okay? I felt that. Anybody else feel that? And, uh, and it was because I was, I was taught this one particular view, which again, might be accurate, might not, we're not sure. Um, Paul tells us how the event will take place. And he says, the trumpet will sound, and those who are loving Jesus, looking for his return, who have faith in him, will hear it and respond, and it will be a moment of joy. See, nobody told me that. I don't know how that somehow got missed, that the coming of the Lord was something to look forward to. And, and that's continuous throughout Scripture, that it is something for those of faith to look forward to. So how will the event take place? Paul tells us. He doesn't tell us what happens in the wake of this. Next question. When will this event take place? This is a question everybody loves to talk about. Um, you know, last week I said I'd give you my prediction. And this, you know, I don't really have a prediction. What I thought about doing was, middle of my sermon, having all the lights go dark, sound of a trumpet go through the sound system. And then when the lights come on, I'd be gone, right? Like, so then you guys would all be like, well, you're left behind. Um, and then I thought, that's, that's probably not wise. I told Todd, and he was like, ah. And then he said to me, this was funny, he's like, actually, the lights would come on, and you'd still be there, your wife Jessica would be gone. And I thought, <laughs> I thought, touche, she's, she's more holy than I am. Um, so I thought of doing that, you know, to make a point, but um, didn't do that. Everyone, you know, it's funny, because with, even within the church, depending on your age and stage, some, some people, like when I was a kid and teenager, I was like, Jesus, please don't come back. I'm about to get my license. <laughs> like, I'm about to experience freedom. I've been waiting for this for like 15 and a half years. Please don't come back now. And then when I was 18, I was like, God, uh, I really want to get married. You know, I want to experience marriage, and so please don't come back now. And then we got married, and I'm thinking, can I just have the experience of being a father, you know, before you come back. And it was like, not now. Now I have four kids. They're getting old. They cost a lot. I'm like, Jesus, anytime. Like, let's go, <laughs> right? And some of you, if you're, if you're uh, older, further along the journey of life and your body starts to break down, maybe you experience illness, it's like anytime, Jesus, right? So everyone's got these different perspectives. Um, but when, when we begin to talk about when, when will this event take place? A fantastic question. Um, what's interesting about this is that the Bible on many, many occasions speaks with, it seems like, two voices. And again, in the West, we think very logically, very like line upon line, build it up. But the, the Bible is an Eastern book, and in Eastern literature, uh, it often presents two tension-filled ideas. So, for example, the Bible teaches that God is holy and righteous, and He will judge sin and all that stuff, right? And we all agree, that's true. But also it says he's, He is merciful and gracious, 
forgiving the sins. And you're like, how can those two exist at the same time? And yet they do. The Bible teaches the sovereignty of God. I can show you hundreds of verses that say God decides, God chooses, God wills, as he wants, everything goes. And I can show you hundreds of verses that say, choose you this day whom you will serve. Receive him by faith. So it's like, well, is it his choice? Is it my choice? It, it holds both in front of us, and we're stuck living in the tension of it. And what I've found is that as people study the Scripture, they often lean towards one side or the other, depending on their, what they've been taught or their personality or whatever. And so people are like, it's all about holiness, and they forget about grace. Or it's all about grace, and they forget about the holiness. It's all about God's sovereignty, and they forget about their choice. You see what I'm saying? And so when it comes to this conversation of when will this event take place... There's this same kind of tension. Jesus tells his disciples when they ask him on one occasion, they say, when will all these things take place? And he says, oh, this is going to happen first. There's going to be these signs in the heavens, and you're going to see this and this and this, and then the end will come. Then in the same conversation, he says, but guess what? No one knows what day or hour I'm coming. I'm going to come like a thief in the night. So it's like, okay, which is it? After all these things, we can expect you. And then he's like, be ready now. Mm. And then, uh, after Jesus' resurrection, he's about to ascend into heaven, and his disciples are like, hey, is now the time? Are you going to be king now? And Jesus says, it's not for you to know the times or the seasons that the Father has prepared. He just told them to watch, right, to be aware of the seasons. And so Christians are, are taught in the scripture to watch what's going on in the political sphere, to watch what's going on in the world to be aware of the season we live in and to watch for his return and really to, to try to determine when he's coming, but at the same time it tells us we can't know it. And I think the whole thing should lead us to look for him everywhere we can and wait for him every single day as if today is our last. Does that make sense? And so we're caught in this tension and it causes us to live in a certain way. Um, of course, through the years, um, many people have tried to make predictions and, I mean, you can go online and you can look. There have been, like, hundreds of predictions about when Jesus would return. Uh, there was a pope that said it was the year 1000, like at the turn of the first millennium. Jesus is coming back. And then there have just been all these dates and dates and dates since. One guy, actually, a uh, really smart guy, wrote a book uh, which sold a lot of copies in 1987. And he gave 88 reasons why Jesus is coming back in 1988. <laughs> a little picture of the book cover, okay? 88 reasons. And you go, well, this guy was a quack. No, he was a serious Bible student, and he worked for NASA. And he had taken the, the book of Daniel and Revelation, and he had parsed out all the numbers and the years and predictions and had calculated it using his mathematical skills. It's going to be in 1988. The book stopped selling in 1989. <laughs> People continue to make predictions about when... And, uh, and it's right that we watch and, and we do study the scripture and try to figure it out. But Jesus says, no one knows the day or the hour when, he, when I will return. So um, I'll just leave you with that in answer to the question of when this will take place. Be ready today. How's that for an answer? Uh, when we study the end times, um, we call this eschatology. It's a study of the end of the world. It's a study of future events and what's going to take place Uh, One of the things we talk about a lot is the rapture. One of the things we don't talk a lot about is what's called the day of the Lord. And what's fascinating about this is that if you do a simple search of the Bible and you look up the day of the Lord, you're going to find a lot of passages from the Old Testament and the New, and they're scary. 
Because the day of the Lord talks about not what, what Jesus is going to do for the church in rescuing them, that's the rapture, but it talks about how he's going to come and judge all those who rejected him, who were proud and arrogant, who turned, who lived lawless lives. And like, can I tell you, it's not pretty. Like literally, look up day of the Lord passages and read them. It'll scare your socks off. And we don't talk about it much. But Jesus, when he was asked... Uh, by his disciples about what would happen in the future, he immediately goes to this day of the Lord. Because what's going to happen is there will be a moment in history, and the Old Testament prophets looked to the future, and they saw on the horizon the day of the Lord. This day when, when history stops, and, and the Lord judges the earth and makes things right. And they looked at it and thought, we better get ready. And... Uh, So I want to turn to Matthew 24, and you're all thinking, when do we get into Thessalonians? In just a minute. Again, I want to lay some groundwork because, again, what Paul is actually saying about the rapture, he's actually referencing Jesus' own teaching right here in Matthew 24. So I want you to see it before we jump into Thessalonians. Here's what he says in Matthew 24, uh, beginning in verse 29. Immediately after the tribulation. So once again, the Bible, Old Testament and New, predicts a season of great trouble and tribulation on the entire world. After the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, and the stars will fall from heaven. Jesus isn't making this up. The Old Testament prophets predicted this over and over and over again. So astrological signs, however you say that, meteorological, there's stuff happening in the sky, in the universe. I don't know whether it's volcanoes erupting. I don't know if it's satellites falling from the sky instead of stars. I don't know. But something will happen and people will be like, whoa, something's happening, okay? That's the point. And the powers of the heaven will be shaken. Verse uh, 30, he says, then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man and then all of the tribes of the earth will mourn. Who will mourn? Everybody. All the tribes of the earth, every language, every tongue, every nation, okay? This is a significant event. And they, all the tribes, all the nations, all the languages, peoples from all over the world, will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. Jesus talks about a day when he will appear in the sky, and it's not just Christians that are going to see him. Maybe we're gone already. Maybe, we don't know. But when he appears, the whole earth will see him. And... When they see him, it will be a day of great trouble. Verse 31, he continues, He will send out his angels with a loud trumpet call. Does this sound familiar? And will gather his elect, that's his church, from the four winds, that's the four corners of the earth. Everywhere this all happens, and God's people are gathered to Jesus from one end of heaven to the other. Jesus is describing this event, okay? Now here's the big question when we're reading something like this. Uh, The question, as we start to think about how all these events will transpire, the question is, is this one event or two? Let me throw up that next slide for me. Is this one event or two? So we talk about the rapture, which is God rescuing his people, Jesus pulling up, snatching away his Christians out of the world, and the day of the Lord is a day when Jesus returns to judge the earth. question is, one event or two? Do they happen at the same time? And based on your answer to that question is going to determine a whole bunch of answers to a whole bunch of other questions, okay? So, are they one event or two? Um, For many people, again, in the Western understanding, I particularly say this because about 200 years, John Nelson Darby came up with the dispensational model, which I won't bore you with, 
But it's a layout of how the end times would fit, and so then you can take all of the scriptures and kind of fit them all into this scheme that helps you to understand it. Whether it's right or not, um, I guess we'll, we'll find out when Jesus returns. Uh, but under that model, which probably many of you have heard and been taught, I've got a little slide here I'll show you. Um, it, it really says that what's going to happen, if you see at the top there's a blue arrow coming down, that's Jesus coming to get his church. Snatch Christians out. Then there's a period of seven years of tribulation, so the world gets very bad. And then the red arrow coming down is Jesus returning to judge. So they've separated the rapture and the day of the Lord, the saving of God's people and the judgment of the world. They've separated by seven years. And in that first model, all the Christians disappear and there's pandelirium on the earth. And people are left behind and you get all of your books and novels, okay? There's another group of people within that same scheme of understanding that say, actually, what's going to happen is in the middle of those seven years, Christians will be around for the first three and a half years, and then they're snatched away, and there's pandelirium, and then three and a half years later, Jesus returns to judge the earth. So the first one is called pre-tribulation, the second is called mid-tribulation, and then the last one is post-tribulation, and this says, no, Christians will actually be on the earth while everything goes crazy. The Antichrist rises, one world government, there'll be all these things that transpire, and then the church will be raptured in the same time Jesus comes to judge the earth. They're one event. And that's called post-tribulation. And then there's pan-tribulation, right? It'll all pan out in the end. Yeah. All right? Some of you are just like, I don't know. And, but all these three options are actually just three different interpretations of one model. There's actually, I could show you other models for how to interpret. So... Bottom line is, um, over the past couple of weeks, I've been looking at this and going, okay, how do we, there's, there's all of these, all these weeds we could dive into, there's all these directions we could go, but what is, is most significant for us to understand? Um, one of the questions that got asked last week was, uh, how do we know the rapture hasn't happened already? So let's just look at these models, you can throw that slide back up. Um, again, assuming this particular model of interpretation if we're on the top one, the pre-tribulation, and if I had to pick, I like the one where all the Christians leave before things get bad. How about you guys? <laughs> I like that one the best. Um, but if that was the case, if that was the case, uh, how would you know the rapture hasn't happened already? Well, first of all, if that's the case, then a whole bunch of Christians would have disappeared, and we'd all be going, what happened to them? And then things would be very bad, and all these other events would happen um, on the world stage, and they haven't happened. So if you're taking that interpretation, the rapture has not come. If you're going with the, the bottom one, the post-tribulation, so where Jesus returns, gets his church, and judges the world at the same time, it also hasn't happened because we haven't seen Jesus in the sky. The whole world hasn't mourned at the sight of Jesus. And, uh, and so the rapture hasn't happened in that case, and we could, we could keep talking about that. But what I want to do uh, at this point is I want to, I want to turn to what um, Paul continues to write in 1 Thessalonians. Last week, he described to us what exactly would happen when Jesus returns, uh, now he's going to continue the conversation. And what I really want you to see here is that as he continues the conversation about Jesus' soon return, he's going to talk primarily and, and sort of woven into what he's going to say next is how should we live in light of this fact that he's coming for us? Like, I want you to understand that. We could argue about the models, about the dates, the times, what will be happening, when the rapture. We can, that's really, you come, I would love to argue with you about it. It's really fun. And I could probably argue all the different points scripturally, but how do we live in light of the fact that he's coming? That's the biggest question. And are we looking for him? And are we waiting for him? That's the real question. So Paul turns his attention um, as we turn into the fifth chapter um, towards this. He says, now concerning the times and seasons, 
brothers, sisters, people of faith, you have no need to have anything written to you. Maybe they asked Paul, hey, when's Jesus coming? He's like, actually, I don't have to say anything about this. I have nothing else to add. There's nothing I can tell you concerning the times and seasons of his return. Remember, before Jesus ascended to heaven, he said that it is not for you to know the times and seasons. That's actually what he told his disciples. You can read it. It's Acts chapter 1, verse 7 or 8, something like that. Okay? He says, it's not for you to know these things. He continues, for you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. Now, once again, Paul is referring to Jesus' own words. That be ready, because when I return, I will come like a thief in the night. People won't know. Nobody will be, no one will know that I'm coming or when I'm coming. And he says, you yourselves are fully aware the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. Now, again, let's assume for just a second the rapture and the day of the Lord are the same event, Okay? That same event will be a moment of pure joy for those who love Jesus and are waiting for him and a day of pure dread for those that have rejected him. Do you understand that? Like for those of us that love him and are daily waiting for his return, when you hear that trumpet, your heart will leap and you'll be like, let's go. And, and all the people that have rejected him and said, oh, I don't believe that. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how I live. It doesn't matter about God. They, and when they hear that thing and they see Jesus on the horizon, they will be going, oh, no. Because here's the, the truth of that song we heard. There's no time to change your mind. That's, that's true. When the moment happens that Jesus returns, when the moment happens, the Lord's day, again, no matter how you parse it out, timeline, when that moment happens, it will happen such that there will be no time to make amends. So that means that I live in light of his return in any moment. It means, like, if God has asked me to do something, guess when I should do it? Today. If there's someone I need to forgive, guess when I should forgive that person? You guys are really slow. Today, right? Because Jesus talks about, man, when, when the king returns and he calls everyone into account and he's forgiven me and I chose not to forgive someone else, that's not going to be a good scene. So I forgive today. I love today. I serve today. I don't put off things that matter because I believe he's coming at any moment. He continues, while people are saying, now he's not talking about the church now, he's talking about the rest of the world. He's talking about, hey, concerning when Jesus is going to return, I don't have to tell you about the time and the season, but here's what I'll tell you. He says, people will be saying, the world will be saying at large, peace and security. Then, he says, sudden destruction will come upon them, not the church, upon those who think, oh, we're fine, everything's great, you know, we're all working together, we're cleaning the oceans, which is good, by the way, we've got this. And one of the themes that runs throughout the prophetic literature is this desire for people to go, hey, if we just unite, we can do what only God can do. We can save ourselves, we can bring peace and justice, we can feed all the hungry, we can do it. And God's like, no, you can't. And there's an arrogance and a pride. And you'll see that rising up in the end times. One world government, one leader, unified economy. And it's like, we can do it. And Jesus will return. And by the way, there will be a one world government. Jesus will be at the head of it. Okay? Not NATO or some other thing. Jesus will be at the head of that one world government one day. So while they're saying peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman. This is where all the women go, okay, I got this. And they will not escape. <laughs> you know? 
I don't know what this feels like. When you're pregnant and that labor starts and you feel those pains, it's not like, can we wait a few years? I'm not ready. It's like, it's go time. And, and what Jesus actually used this analogy of, of the pregnant woman, he's just like, when that day hits, there's no escape. People go through. There's no time to change your mind. Verse 4, but you, now he's talking to the church again. You are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. Now, Paul's not saying you know exactly what day is coming. He's saying you know he's coming. And since you know he's coming, you're not ignorant to it. And so you're going to live each day in light of his very, very near and present return. You're not in darkness. Again, uh, he continues with this analogy of light and dark in verse 5. He says, for you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. So when you think of, you know, light and darkness, what do you think about? Good and evil, surely. Uh, Another way to think about it, it would be like knowledge and ignorance, okay? So you know when you figure something out, the light comes on, right? And when someone doesn't know something, they're in the dark. And it seems to me like Paul's using this analogy to say, hey, look, you guys are in the light because you know Jesus is coming and you're prepared for it. And even though you don't know what day... You're waiting for him, and your heart is ready, and you're living ready. You're in the light. And those in darkness are people that say, hey, I don't believe that's happening. I don't believe it matters. And they're just ignorant of the whole thing. They're in darkness. And then he's going to continue with this analogy as he moves forward. He says, so then let us not sleep. Again, this is this analogy of being ignorant to the facts, as others do. But let us keep awake and sober. Paul is not saying that we're like (laughs) supposed to stay awake, like physically until Jesus returns, because that just wouldn't work. We'd die. He's talking about staying vigilant, awake, aware of his soon return, and living in light of it. That's, again, uh, the metaphor that he continues to use. Verse 7, for those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk, get drunk at night. His point is, essentially, you don't get drunk at noon. You shouldn't. People are like, what are you doing getting drunk at noon? You're supposed to be working. You're supposed to get drunk at night when you're in your downtime, relaxing. And I'm not encouraging you to get drunk. But Paul's talking about how your behavior is determined by what season you think you're in. Right? Have you ever woken up and you get walked down, you put the coffee maker on and you start your day and you look at the clock and it's like 1.32? You think it's morning, so you're behaving like it's morning, but it's still night? And Paul's saying essentially that if you know Jesus is returning, your behavior will be in a certain direction. And if you're ignorant and you think he's not coming and none of it matters, then you'll behave in another way. Your behavior will be determined by your fundamental belief about this teaching. Okay? We track him with that. So he continues. He says, but since we belong to the day, since we're aware of his soon coming return, let us be sober. He's coming, he's coming, he's coming. Having put on the breastplate of faith and love, they used to wear the metal breastplate. It would protect their vital organs and their heart from attack. And he's like, love and faith protect us as we wait for Jesus. He continues, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. When your thoughts begin to, when you're attacked in your mind and you're thinking, oh no, this is all... We remember Jesus is coming. We're going to be with him forever. And it is the hope of our salvation. And it protects our minds. And it protects our heart as we wait for Jesus faithfully. Verse 9. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Here's the, here's the big idea. When Jesus returns, and again, I don't know how these, you know, what the timing of all these things will be, but here's... For those who love Jesus, it will be salvation and mercy 
And for those who have rejected God's Son, it will be wrath. And the only reason why you and I won't receive that wrath is because Jesus already received it on our behalf on the cross. And when we realize that, man, then we begin to say, how do I live in light of his return? How do I prepare myself to meet my Lord and my Savior? He died for us so whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Again, the big picture, God's people will be with him forever. Paul reminds him. And then he finishes this conversation about the future and the rapture with these words. Here they are again. Therefore, what's he say? Encourage. 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 If you study the end times, dates, seasons, politics, and you don't find it encouraging, you're not doing it right. You should encourage the saints. And encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. He's coming back. Get ready. He's coming back. Get ready. And so therefore, the way I live, the way I love, the way I serve, the way I pray, what I do and don't do is all in light of his return. And I'm telling you, folks, when he comes, for those that love him, it will be a great day. A couple questions to close. Are there some things that have to happen before Jesus returns and raptures his church? Maybe. Depends on your reading of history and the prophetic literature. Um, Do you have your eschatology right, your study of the end times? Maybe. Maybe not. I think there's a lot of things we're going to discover we had right and wrong when we get to heaven. Um, Can Christ return at any time? Yes. Should we live every single day in light of his imminent return? Yes, we should. And that's my prayer for you and for me as we continue to study these things and wait for his return. Father, um, this morning we've dived into a big subject, lots of conversation, lots of things to talk about. Lord, I pray that, um, that our heart, each person in this room, would be to love you and to wait for you so that when we hear the trumpet call, we would respond with joy at your coming. Lord, I pray that if there's anyone in this room who is harboring unforgiveness, if there's anyone in this room who has been living in disobedience to you, Lord, that they would begin to consider their behavior in light of your return. Let us live in such a way that when we hear that sound, we would be responding with joy, ready to meet you. God, thank you uh, for every person who attends this church and who serves faithfully. God, may we be found faithful at your return. In Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to the Pathway Church Podcast. If you'd like to reach out to us, go to our website, pathwaylife.com. And as always, don't forget to subscribe. See you next week.